Everybody doing well? If you have a Bible at your disposal, um, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at your disposal, there's a pew Bible around, and if all else fails, it's in the bulletin. So no excuse. Just kidding. It's that hellfire and brimstone out of the way. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to read chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, and then the entirety of chapter 2. It's a lot of of text, which is usually unlike me when I do this, but we'll talk about why that is in a minute. Um, It's a lot of text, but it's all very macro-topical. So um, let's give attention to uh, God's Word, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind." What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom, and to no madness, and to no folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind." For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly. Till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind." And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. 
The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. This is the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the um, uh, solemn... Uh, and uh, heavy opportunity to stand uh, in this pulpit and preach your word. Um, Father, it's, it's hilarious to me that I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I, I, I care way more about what people think about me than I want to let on. I want to impress people with good sermons and good piano playing and that's not what this is about even in preaching your word i need your help i i'm 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 a broken vessel uh proclaiming your word i'm a beggar pointing others to where the bread is so i ask that you will come um be the one that preaches today as i pray every time come thou fount of every blessing and tune our hearts see something new and savor something new of your amazing grace. Father, I pray that we will leave here feeling lighter. I pray that we'll leave here feeling uh, perhaps less reliant on our work and more helplessly dependent on yours uh, for us. And we, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, if you're visiting or new, I preach on a on sort of an intermittent and, and irregular basis here. Um, good move to not let it happen too often. Um, 
good good session oversight here. Um, and and sometimes I've 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 hopped inside whatever the sermon series was, you know, depending on. Uh, and then you know Rick and Grant were preaching through Second Corinthians, and they popped me in on the sermon series where it was about telling you to give more money. Thank you, Rick. That was great. Thank you so much. I, I, that was, there's no way that wasn't. Yeah, come on. Um, but but every but from then on, I've just kind of been doing potpourri, whatever, um, which is great. Um, I'm, I'm told Spurgeon did it sometimes. Um, but the last time, I don't remember when it was. It's been several months ago. Uh, I did Ecclesiastes one. I was reading Ecclesiastes at the time. I spend a lot of time with Ecclesiastes. Um, I teach in the Alabama two-year college system. Uh, I teach Survey of Old Testament. It's one of the classes I teach, and so I've just I've, it's probably my favorite book of the Bible, uh, if it's appropriate to have a favorite book of the Bible. And uh, so I told you all that day that this was basically. A, a intro sermon to a hypothetical sermon series on Ecclesiastes. Uh, I call it Rope in the Wind after my favorite Garth Brooks record. There's a lot of music coming down, a lot of song lyrics today. Um, just be ready, I guess. Um, and, and I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't know when I was going to preach again, uh, you know, so I just kind of filed it away. Uh, I was supposed to preach in October, uh, and, I, and you know, so I was already thinking about what to do, and then uh, about I don't know a month ago or so, Grant said, "Hey, can you can you can you do May seventh? And I said, "Sure, I can do whatever." Um, and then I, 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 it was weird how it happened. I just I opened up, and there was Ecclesiastes again. And I thought, "Why don't I just keep going and you know and uh, move on?" So this is part two in what's going to probably be a four and a half year sermon series on Ecclesiastes. Um, and, and it's interesting because really part one where I left off, this is actually part two of an intro. Uh, we're easing our way in uh, because there's a lot of diagnostic things at the beginning of this book. Um, I believe after that, uh, that sermon, I don't know, I see Daniel Hightower here today, but I, he and I talked after it. This, I, I think that if somebody came to me and said, hey, I'm a new Christian, I don't know anything about the Bible, what do I do? Honest to, in front of God and you all, I would, I, would, I would tell them two things. Go get a Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones and read the intro over and over and over again. And start with Ecclesiastes. Uh, I think it's what we should... I, you know, it's so realistic and, and, and just down... Not that other books of the Bible aren't, but, but it's just so honest. I mean, that text today... This is a thousands of year old text and, and, and that could... I hope as you were reading that, that could be right now. Somebody could say that same stuff today. You don't need a lot of context to understand Ecclesiastes. It may be the most universally understood understandable book of the Bible, and certainly it's the most existential. What makes it so timeless is that it takes the premise that the fact that everyone craves meaning. I don't know a person... I've never met a person, and I meet a lot of people. I talk, my, my, I, I don't, for those of you that don't know, I, I, I teach in the two-year college system. I, I teach four fields, so I always have a lot of students. And I have this marching band thing. I write marching band halftime shows for bands around the country. I'm writing 52. The, 52. What is wrong? Just, just a masochist. Something's wrong with me. Um, and so I talk to a lot of people. Like I, my, my net's probably wider than the average person because my job's dictated. I mean, 52 band directors, you know, 
from the country. Man, I just talk to a lot of people, and I, and I encounter a lot of people. I, I hear stories from their students. I don't know anybody who does not want their life to mean something. It's not that we don't want our lives to mean something. It's how do we go about doing that? Ecclesiastes catalogs a number of ways that we try to find meaning. Um, I read this last time, but this is we're, we're just going to review here uh, quickly before we get in. Uh, we'll actually move pretty quickly through that long text. Uh, but David Foster Wallace, a uh, uh, great American writer, said this, In the day-to-day trenches of life, there is actually no such thing as true atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when, the time and, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. If you worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will, and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. It's piercing, isn't it? Calvin said that our heart, paraphrasing him, is basically a perpetual factory of idols. We, because of who we are, and because of what we are, that's a sinner of that first Adam. So, you know, Romans 5 could not be more clear that That's who you and I are. And if we miss that, if we miss that, if if we start out with one foot out the door, ready to grab life by the horns, without that reality always sobering us, the rest of our faith is going, there's, there's going to be a flaw in the programming. Well, Ecclesiastes rips the face off of all of the things that you and I don't really want to admit or think about of ourselves. It, just, it forces us to look straight in the face of life under the sun, this side of heaven, as if there is no God, either functionally or actually. If, if you resign yourself to a life of no God, either on some sort of atheistic platform, or really what I want us to see today is that even Christians are not immune from this. Because of that reality, you're not immune from this, I'm not immune from this. And in fact, I mean, let me just go ahead and blow my cover here. Um, I see a lot of younger faces in here, and I know there's college students here, and Sam's off to college. I see some JSU students that I talk to sometimes. I'm really going to be honest with all of you, I'm really preaching to, to them. I'm preaching to everybody because I need to hear it too, but um, this is great for people uh, either in college or headed off to college. Keep Ecclesiastes close, close by, uh, because... Uh, I I, want to give you a warning before we get started. If your theology, whatever your personal theology is, whatever, if it does not allow for the fact that your worst screw-up could still be in front of you, scrap it and start over and go back to Ecclesiastes. 
it's painfully diagnostic. And that's what, that's what the, the speaker, uh, and we talked last time, we're not gonna, this is not the time or the place to go into who this is. You know, I, I we'll say Solomon, we'll say whatever. The Hebrew word is quiholeth. It, it means the pundit, the assembler. You could think of him as a preacher, a philosophy professor. Who it is honestly doesn't matter, but what he says matters. So um, I realize that that might be a little bit initially defeating on the front side. Good. I hope it is. If I don't do anything today but knock the legs out from underneath your self-sufficiency and leave you crawling back like Paul at the end of Romans 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I wish I didn't do, I keep on doing. God in heaven, who will save me from this body of death? If that's what I accomplish today, praise God, because that's what you and I both need. Preaching to myself too. Um, So, um, that's that's an essential recap. Nobody is immune to uh, this fear of vanity. Nobody is immune to, how do I give my life meaning? And nobody is immune to, how am I going to go track that stuff down? So... I call this, as we now move into uh, our text for today, I call this a tale of two freedoms. Because I want us to look at this text. And again, Grant and I talked about this before. I was really checking to be sure I wasn't way off. You know, I don't know what he would have done if I had said so. I just kept going and, I don't know, played Billy Joel or something after. But I think it's appropriate to survey Ecclesiastes from a very high altitude. Okay, and we'll do that once we get into the text. Um, So, a tale of two freedoms. What do we do because of this reality that life under the sun, a life without God, is ultimately meaningless? How do we cope with that? Well, he's going to go on and tell us how he coped with that. Uh, So, I want us to see two freedoms. Two freedoms. As coping mechanisms, if you will. First, a life... For freedom, a life for freedom, or the second one, a life from freedom. They're very different. For freedom, or from freedom. Um, something happened to me when I was 37 that I didn't see coming. I didn't plan on it. It was not in my cards. And it's only gotten bigger and worse. And, 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 and it's spreading and expanding. Um, at age 37, I became a John Mayer fanboy. I mean, so I mean look. You know, I feel like Ricky Gervais at the at, at the Golden Globes. It's the last time I preach. What are you going to do? I might as well confess my confess my sins to you. I don't know. I just from a musician standpoint, I heard a song called "In the Blood," and I was like, "Wow, this song is so good." It's his lyrics, and I know he's a very polarizing guy, but it's a great way to get into Ecclesiastes. Hang with me for the next ninety seconds, and it'll make sense. Um, on his first record. Uh, John Mayer has a tune called Why Georgia. I told you there's a lot of song lyrics today. He has a song called Why Georgia. And he, was, he wrote it at a Borders bookstore uh, in Marietta, Georgia. He had moved to, 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 to Atlanta area to get into the Atlanta music scene. Uh, and life was not going well. He 
was just gigging. He had no money. He, you know, and he had a, he had a gig at this Borders bookstore where he was getting 50 bucks and a store credit. And he was on the way to the gig and realized he forgot his guitar. And he was like, what? I mean, come on. What a loss. Like, what a loss. How could I be this? I'm going to play guitar and I left my guitar at, at, at home. So he stopped at a buddy's house and borrowed one and wrote this song on the spot. Listen to these lyrics. I am driving up 85. In the kind of morning that lasts all afternoon. Just stuck inside the gloom. Four more exits to my apartment and I am tempted to keep the car and drive and leave it all behind. This next part is called the pre-chorus. Since we're doing songwriting today, uh, listen to this pre-chorus. Because I wonder sometimes about the outcome of a still verdictless life. Am I living it right? Am I living it right? Am I living it right? Why, Georgia? Why, Georgia? Why? You may hate John Mayer, but I guarantee you, at some level, be it big or small, on some intuitive level, that question has to pierce into you in some way. You wouldn't be human if it didn't. I wonder about the outcome of a verdictless life. Not even guilty or not guilty, just how am I... What am I going to do? What, when, when it's all over but the crying, what, what's going to be said of me? We feel this in our relationships with our children. Our, a verdictless life. It's a terrifying prospect. So, Quiholeth felt the same thing at the end of chapter 1. So he now moves into where we are today, these areas. And again, we're going to move uh, relatively quickly. So, a life for freedom. How do we find freedom? How, how, do, we, how do we secure a reality of a, not only a verdictless life, but a, but, a, but, but a life that has a really good verdict on it? A verdict of not guilty, which is ultimately what, what you and I all crave, all roads lead back. Justification. I don't care. All roads lead back. So you preach the same thing every time. I sure do. I only will. Because uh, there's nothing else to preach. We don't need thousands of different things to be preached. We need the same thing preached thousands of different ways. So, the first thing you did. Let's look at number one here. We're going to move through here. Wisdom. Um, he had a lot of... Uh, he had a lot of... of uh, high hopes for wisdom. Remember, he is in and of himself... Um, a philosopher. Uh, he's a wise man. So he has a lot of premiums on, on wisdom. But if we look here, let's look at uh, verse 12 again. I, the preacher, have been king over uh, Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Okay, fair enough. And then look, man, he just drops the hammer really quickly. It's an unhappy business that God has given. He's just honest right out of the gate. He didn't even elaborate on positive things. The, the Hebrew here, by the way, unhappy, it's not really sad. It's, 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 it's more of just dark and heavy and, and things you probably don't want to look at. Just, ugh. Um, Socrates, my goodness, you quote him, uh, he said, um, is not the pursuit of wisdom a practice... For death. I mean, you know, that's heavy. 
Um, I got an article from uh, our dean of instruction, uh, who he sends us stuff as faculty um, through the year, and uh, it's it's all about students post COVID trying to come back from that world and 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 considering the world that college students live in. Uh, if you're a high school or college student today, as somebody who teaches in college, let me tell you, my heart goes out for you to you because you have it harder than than even my generation. There is so much more junk at your disposal and thrown at you it's not and it's information overload this article is about information overload knowing things knowing so much because we know more today than we've ever known before in fact there's nothing that if you want if you wanted to right now if you wanted to see downtown jerusalem right now you could there's a live webcam there's nothing we don't know Information is everywhere. It's accessible. It's in our pockets. Listen to what this article says. Uh, By some reports, around 20% of adults, parentheses, probably more, in Western countries feel information overload and say say that it affects them negatively. According to a recent study, the consequences for a person's mental and physical health may occur with higher stress levels, shorter attention spans, memory disorders, difficulty staying organized, setting priorities, managing time, and the risk of becoming a shallow user of the information that they receive. Idolized knowledge, the the economy of idolized knowledge, also feels these consequences. Workers lose productivity. Information contamination leads to confusion, mistakes, and poor decisions, which cost a lot. I even found the latest research uh, from a New York analyst firm with a shocking number which shows that the damage of information overload cost the U.S. economy around $900 billion a year in lowered employee productivity and reduced innovation. Man. We know more than any generation. I mean, look, even on not being able to find out good information, have you ever encountered a situation in your life where you found out something that you wish you hadn't known? Has that happened to you? It is an unhappy business. Like the Bob Ross Netflix special. Don't watch it. Just watch him paint. Please. If you, and if you've already watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Just don't watch it. It's sad. It's sad. Don't tell him, Justin. Okay, I'm good. Okay. He was 85 pounds when he died and his name... His name was taken from him. His whole business, his whole empire that he wanted his kid to have, he was, he was, he was conned into signing it all away at the end of his life. And, and he died poor and with cancer and 85 pounds. And, and, and he wasn't perfect along the way either. Yet, you know, he, just, he was human. You know, it's just sad. There's something about the... Now, let me say this on the out front. I'm a college teacher. Education is good. We've all put premiums on education in our life and our world. Education is a good thing. But when we look for our meaning and value and, in, and acquiring knowledge, what does he say? It's striving after the wind. So, I pursued freedom through wisdom... I tried to become wise. It did not 
deliver, it did not provide. So he keeps going. Next, try to be in high places. We take a cue from Garth Brooks and go to low places. Friends in low places. He looks for the vanity of self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. He said, I tested my heart. That in and of itself lets you know, is that not a very human endeavor to tell me to see how this goes? Well, if that didn't do it, let me try this. I love Frasier. Do you like Frasier? You like the you like the you like Frasier? The 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 show. In my mind, there is no Kelsey Grammer. There's only Frasier. He's a real person. Uh, there's an episode in um, one of the later seasons called Door Jam. Frasier mistakenly gets this uh, invitation to this to this really posh spa called Le Porte de Jean, and he can't stand that he didn't get it. It was, it was delivered to his mailbox. It was his neighbor's. And it just makes him so mad that he didn't get it. Well, he pretends to be his neighbor, uh, uses the false identity, uses the false pretense, and gets in. Um, and he and Niles are in there, and they get their spa treatment, and he's like, oh, it was just nirvana, it was just heaven, you know. And as they're checking out, they see a senator walk by, and the senator gets out this membership card and goes to a gold door and swipes. And he goes in. And Frazier says, what, what, what is that? And the lady working says, I'm sorry, sir, that room is only for our gold level members. And he goes, this place is a dump. What is this? Why am I here? You know. Well, Roz, uh, this other character in Frazier, if you don't know Frazier, I'm sorry, check out, we'll be back in 30 seconds. Um, uh, happens to know that senator and gets Frazier and Niles into the gold circle room. And when they go in, it's even better. It's called the Relaxation Grotto. There's a there's a pool, and Frasers comes out in a robe with like this face mask on. Niles is in a full body wrap, just total relaxation. And he just he says, "Niles, look at this place." Just so moved by it. And they look over to the corner, and there's one of the workers swapping a card and going behind a platinum door. And they go over there. And they walk over, and, and, and he says, I'm sorry, sir, you're not allowed behind here. Please remain in the relaxation grotto. And Fraser says, please remain in the relaxation grotto. Have crueler words ever been spoken? And, and so they get each other, and he says, I'm going. He plows through, and it's actually just a back door to the alley, and, they're, and they just collapse into a dumpster. Now, I know it's Fraser, I know, but if that is not... A beautiful secular picture of what's going on here. Um, let's follow him quickly here in uh, chapter 2. He, he moves through these things that he's trying to find meaning through. Um, let me try this. Remember, I'm testing myself. I'm testing myself with this. The first thing, laughter, joking. The preacher tried this sort of thing. Listen to his conclusion. What does he say in uh, 2 verse 2? He said, I said of laughter, it is mad. And the pleasure, what use is it? It didn't do anything. Billy Graham told a story one time um, about a man who went to a psychiatrist because he was so depressed and sad and, and he, he just, he just couldn't, couldn't get out of the funk. He was just stuck. And uh, they, had, they, had a, they had a couple of sessions on a, on a Friday and a Saturday morning and nothing was working and 
the psychiatrist said to him, he said, well, listen, we're not really making a lot of progress, but let me just give you this bit of advice. He said, there's a comedian in town. He's really good. He's really funny. People love him. And uh, you may not get cured of your depression, but you can go forget about your troubles for a little bit. Just go do that, have a laugh, and we'll pick up next week. And the guy stands up and gets his stuff together, and he, as he walks out the door, he turns around and looks at him and says, Sir, I am that comedian. There's nothing wrong with laughter. There's nothing wrong with this. But, says Quiholith, if we run towards it for meaning, we're going to come out empty. Next, what does he do? Next, we're just going to move down, we're going to move quickly. Uh, so that we can get to the end game of all of this. Uh, I built stuff for myself. I tried alcohol. I did all of these things. On the surface, none of these things in and of themselves are, are bad things to enjoy life. Yet... Then he moves down even more. Look, what's, what's next? The, these, these, uh, I, I, had, I had slaves and concubines. Now, we're trying to soak in pleasure and self-indulgence at the expense of other people. All of it, it all goes back to the same place. Meaninglessness and striving after the wind. When we are completely disregarding um, anything other than a life, how can I feel justified and how can I feel free? Listen, that road leads nowhere good. If you're old enough, that should ring true. If you're young enough, it should probably ring true. Uh, another movie you don't need to watch is, is, is a movie called The Wolf of Wall Street. It's about Jordan Belfort. It's a true story. Um, it's, it's, don't watch it. Don't, I'm not telling you from the pulpit to go watch The Wolf of Wall Street because it's, it's way more than R-rated. But if you do, guard your heart, pray up. Uh, it's a, it's a, it, it, you know, movies like that amaze me how, how, how the secular world can be so much more honest about the human condition than sometimes Christian movies, you know. Um, but, the, but the first quote at the beginning is, last year, his character says, I made $52 million last, last year, excuse me, $51 million last year, and it made me mad because I was a million away from making a million a week. It's a true quote from Jordan Belfort, who the movie's based on. The Bible warns against the lust of the flesh and eyes and the pride of life. Psalm 119, the psalmist warns when he prays, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Well, Koholith abandons all of that. As hard and as deeply and as heavily as he possibly can. So, what does he do? He says, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. That word considered, by the way, really means to face it, to look it in the eyes. He looked at it. He stared at it. And he came up, once again, empty. So then, what do we do? We consider now, we've, we've, we've tried wisdom, now we've done folly and self-indulgence, and, 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 and he's going to think about that for a minute in the next passage. And what, is he, what conclusion does he come to? You know, it's better, I guess, to live cleanly and to live wisely than it is to live for folly. Sure. Um... 
I tell my classes uh, this as we're in the Victorian period, um, and some of you probably know this. In the Victorian era, um, it's a good way to lead us into where his rather somber conclusion leads. Um, uh, it, 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 notions of, of, of hedonism and sex and sexuality were incredibly taboo in the Victorian period. Um, if you've seen Victorian era people, Victorian era women, they're, they're clothed, neck to ankle. If you had a piano in your home in the Victorian era, it would have been considered bad taste to not have a skirt around it. Scandalous here at Faith. Look at that piano. Just sitting there with its legs out like a sinner. Um, uh, it was true. It was a very, very modest time. But do you know what was not taboo during the Victorian era? Anybody know? What they're upset? You know, we're like a sex-obsessed culture today. Like it's just all over. It floods all of our media and everything. Do you know what the, the Victorians were obsessed with? Anybody know? Somebody can, somebody can guess it. What was not taboo for Victorians? Death. It was commonplace. When somebody died, they would just get in the casket with a dead body and take pictures. Google Victorian era death. Death permeated all of Victorian. It was obsessed with literature. and, and, and you know, So you could go into somebody's home and, and be like, well, I mean, thank you for covering up your piano legs, but there's a corpse in here. You know, um, it, it, The point is, where Quiholeth leads is, you know what I found? You know what I discovered? That the same thing happened to the wise person, the guy who lived well, the guy who lived clean, and the guy who lived hard. They both died. Fate, that word fate that he uses, the same fate comes to both. Jesus says in Matthew five forty-five, rain falls indeed on the just... And the unjust found this great story, and we're we're almost home. Of um, Alexander the Great learned this the hard way uh, in a dramatic scene when his friend philosopher Diogenes uh, was standing alone in a field, looking at a pile of large bones. Alexander asked what he was doing, and Diogenes gave the reply, I am searching for the bones of your father, Philip, but I cannot seem to distinguish them from the bones of the slaves. There's good news coming, but we got some heavy stuff to wade through. What does he end up saying? He says, I hated life. Listen to some of this stuff. Uh, the why... Um, then I said in my heart, verse 15, What happens to the fool will also happen to me also. Why have I been wise? What was the point of it all? Why did I try to clean up my... Why, why did I do all of that? I'm just going to die like everybody else. Voltaire said this, I hate life, and yet I am afraid to die. Another French writer said, You can't imagine the torment of having had nothing out of life and of having to look forward to nothing but death, of feeling that there is no other world beyond this one, that the puzzle will never be explained. This is, remember, where are we? We're in life under the sun. The good news is coming. We're almost there. But this is the reality this is the reality that neither you nor I are immune from falling into. When, when we look for our worth and meaning in other things 
but Christ. So on this happy note, being totally depressed with everything, he turns to his work. Maybe that will fix it. And look, it is in this arena that we really start to see the real economy of a life for freedom. Okay, Because it's in this life for freedom that he wants to know. He's so transparent. He says, I, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to work. I've built all these things. I've done all these things. And, and I'm probably going to leave it to some moron who's going to squander it all. So why am I doing it? Someone else will profit. In other words, I want to know what kind of return I'm going to get on my investment. And there, friends, is the economy of life for freedom. A life under law. I will, I'm going to love you. How would this affect your relationships on the ground? I will love you as long as you do this. You know, if you can change this about you, you and I are going to be okay. We're always looking for returns on our investments. We're all born with a longing for permanence that's baked into you. I want you, I'm not going to speak for Alicia and Grant, okay? I hope you like the song in a minute. I got a lot. I mean, I hope you like it. I mean, it's for y'all. We wrote it. It's really cool. We're really excited about it. But I haven't thought about this until now, but you know, if you think about I saw a tweet one day. Social media is a garbage disposal, but you do see a lot of things sometimes. It said, a hundred years from now, all new people. Alicia and I were so excited before church. Do our song. It's work. The hook is strong. It's got a good melody, and like I think you'll like it. But like at first, you know, 150 years from now, if, if Christ hasn't re- returned, I mean what if nobody sings it? What if there's a verdictless life? Tolstoy says this, uh, My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which I one cannot live. It was this, What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed as thus, Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me will not destroy? Um, that's grown-up talk. All right, let's pray. What if we just stop right there? Wouldn't it be great? Then, boom! He gives away something. I told you Sally Lloyd-Jones. I'm going to get really excited this because it's so real and so present and I hope, I, hope it just, I hope it just sets you free and makes you feel lighter. I told you Sally Lloyd-Jones, the Jesus Storybook Bible, she says that, that Christ is on every page. You know, you're thinking, where is Jesus in this? I didn't sit here talking about dying and nothing meaning anything and all my work and pleasure and all is just over. You lived in any situation where you might have said, there's no way Jesus is here. There's no way. I mean, I know the Bible says it. I know I go to faith and hear it every week, but there's no way. There's, a, there's, there's hope here. 
Listen to this. Listen, to, he, the, the, the whole mood changes in 24. There is nothing better than a person should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his soul. This I saw was from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have any enjoyment? And then verse 26. Martin Luther said that the entire book of Ecclesiastes hinges at the end of chapter 2. For to, for to the one who pleases God, the literal Hebrew translation says, the one who Elohim sees as good. Not you, not me. Hear it tucked in. The Old Testament is pregnant with Jesus, friend. You can feel him kicking all the way through it. And here at the end, it's Him. All of your life, all of your meaning, all of the things you crave, every single bit of it, all of the good things that we enjoy in life come through Him. Do you think Paul might have been thinking about this in Romans 8 where he said, God ordained all creation to be sub subject to futility. For what? A future hope in Christ. Colossians 3, 3 says, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That word is Crypto, cryptos, crypto. It means what? It is where we get our word encrypted. Your life is encrypted on Christ. Don't have to be afraid of death. You'll be remembered in eternity. The one who created all things, ordained all things, made all things. Your life is hidden with him. So when we end with John Mayer, just as we started with John Mayer. A verdictless life. Christian, listen to me. Your life's going to be filled with a lot of stuff. A lot of things are going to be true for you. You're going to blow it. You're going to cry. You're going to hurt. You're going to suffer. All of these things. All of these things. But there is one thing, if you're in Christ here today, there is one thing that is impossible for you. And that is a verdictless life. It cannot happen. The jury room is shut down. There's nobody in there. There's dust on the wall. The door is locked. Nobody knows where the key is. The sweatshop is closed. Anything worth value, significance, all that you crave, Jesus has secured for you. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Your days are not meaningless. Your, your job you hate is not worthless. Your suffering is not worthless. He's with you. He's present with you. So what do you do? What then? What do you do? Okay, sure, Justin, I get all that. But now what do we do? I still, I, I'm, yeah, you're still stuck down here in all this. Me too. But your life is hidden with Christ, Christian. And a verdictless life is impossible for you. You have everything that you need already. So what does that free you to do? Give yourself away. Come to church. Sing. Give to the church. Love your neighbor. 
Wrap your arms around people you can't stand. Because you're forgiven. You're free. Last thing I'm going to leave you with, and we're out. The song's not very long, so you'll still, you'll still get to Aldo before he runs out of stuff. It's the bagel shop guy. Go to the bagel shop. Go to Music City Bagels. We love it. Jack's, Jack's going to the groundbreaking for his new building. Isn't that crazy? Um, it's weird how life just gives you these things. Um, I want to read you this. This is from an un... I don't, nobody knows who this is. It was, it was an unknown... Um, Christian woman, her name was long forgotten, but sometime in the 18th century she wrote these words, and I hope they give you rest. I do not know when I have had a happier time in my soul than when I have been sitting at work with nothing before me but a candle and a white cloth and hearing no sound but that of my own breath. With God in my soul and heaven in my eye, I rejoice in being exactly what I am, a creature capable of loving God and who, as long as God lives, will be happy. I get up and look a while out the window. I gaze at the moon and stars, the work of an almighty hand. I think of the grandeur of the universe and then sit down and think myself as one of the happiest beings in it. That is part two. A life from freedom. You can't say words like that without your heart being gripped by that reality. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on Him and pardon me and you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, an opportunity to preach Your Word, um, worship corporately, We thank You for the freedom that You have secured for for us through Christ and handed it to us and given it to us, Father. Help us live, Father, in response to that. A life not for freedom, but a life from the freedom that You provide. We ask these things and thank You for giving us uh, the help to believe it when we leave from here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.